Good morning all. Greetings from Christchurch to you all. It's lovely to uh, come and be with you and hear God's word together. So turn up um, Psalm 4. That's where we're going to be for this morning. Um, and uh, we need the Lord's help. We've come to hear his word and him speak to us. So let's bow our heads in prayer and ask him to speak. Heavenly Father, you speak to us of your Son through your word by your Holy Spirit. In your word, you make us great promises. You call us to faith in the person and work of your Son. You bring sinners under the reign of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. You have promised, Lord, your special presence by your word when your people are gathered. And we pray, Lord, you would do business with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Psalm 4, we have an evening psalm. Um, Have a look at verse 8 just for a moment. I will lie down and sleep in peace. We have a psalm about heading to bed and sleeping in peace, even though we might be suffering. Um, Psalm 3 has a a waking up in the morning um, theme about it. I can't find the verse now. It disappeared. But sometimes in your in the, the way that uh, publishers publish the Bible, you will have a morning psalm and an evening psalm um, noted at the top. I don't know if the, your particular one does. Um, in Psalm 3, David faces his son Absalom and has to wake up and face the day. In Psalm 4, he's got some unknown persecutors, but he goes to bed at night sleeping in peace. We're in the book of Psalms. We're in, we're in book one of the book of Psalms where we find confrontation is the big theme. If you know the book of Psalms, it's divided into five books. And the first book is filled with, if you like, confrontation. God and his Christ and the righteous are under attack from the wicked. I'm so tempted to do a whole load of work on context, but I really want to get into into Psalm 4 here. But it's important to note, just to go over Psalm 2, Psalm 1 and 2 are the entrance hallway to the Psalms. And Psalm 2 has the Lord um, proclaiming, he has enthroned his Christ on Zion. And the world rages against God and his anointed. But God says, I have established him. And then when you get to Psalm 3, you find the Old Testament Christ, the Old Testament anointed David, and he doesn't look at all exalted. In fact, he's got rebellion in his own home, and his son has walked out on him. And the book, first book of Psalms sees confrontation as the world rages against this one who's been set aside by God to establish his kingdom. So confrontation is there. Now there's some high points. Psalm 18, the victory of David over, 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 over his enemies. But as we come to the first book of Psalms, we find confrontation. And we find, in fact, the whole book asks you the question as you go through, which side are you on? Are you with the nations raging against God and his king? Or have you taken refuge in the sun? 
Well, how do we read these words of Psalm 4 of David? How can they be of use to us? Well, there is a principle that you need to apply when reading uh, the stories of David and when reading the Davidic Psalms, reading the Psalms, is this. As it goes for the king, so it goes for the people of his kingdom. As it goes for the king, so it goes for the people of his kingdom. David is the Old Testament king of the righteous. He has he had the promises made to him by God that there would be uh, his throne would be established and there'd be one sat on his throne forever, ruling over a kingdom that had no ends. And David, as the Old Testament king with the promise of one who would come in his line, is the covenant head of the people. You might notice this as you read through the stories of, um, of the, the, southern, the kings of the southern uh, kingdom, that if they're faithful, it goes well with people. If they keep the Mosaic law, the people get to enjoy the Abrahamic blessings of peace in the land. But if the king goes off on one and walks away from God's law, then it goes badly for the people. Invasion happens. So when we come to David, we see as it goes for the king, so it goes for the people. The Old Testament people were looking for the faithful Davidic king because all of their hopes for safety and security were loaded onto this one person. And of course, you know, if you have been a Christian for some time, and if you're not a Christian, let me tell you this. The Bible shows us and and, and promises us one who would come in the line of David. And as it goes for that king, so it goes for his people. This is a principle of the gospel. Think about King Jesus, the greater David. He died for his people and came back to life. As it goes for the king, so it goes for his people. If you're a Christian, by faith in him, Romans 6 tells us, we have died to our sin and have been raised to new spiritual life. Christ died and was raised. As it goes for the king, so it goes for his people. We have died and we have been raised to life. Jesus suffered at the hands of wicked people, set against God. And if you side with Christ, you too, at some point, and his church will suffer at the hands of the world that rages against God and his Christ. As it goes for the king, so it goes for his people. And and think about this when you struggle, with it, whether it's with sin or whether it's with mental health issues, whether it's anything in your life, as it goes for the king, so it goes for his people. Jesus was raised and glorified, and so we, his people, will be raised and glorified. As it goes for the king, so it goes for the people. And so David, as the forerunner, speaks for us. He speaks as a Christian. He speaks as one who trusted in the promises of a Christ to come and trusted in God. He speaks as one who knows eternal life. And what does John 17 tell us eternal life is? Jesus said it is to know the one true God and the one whom he sent. David speaks as a Christian, trusting in God to bring him peace and rest in affliction. And so we can too. We can read these Psalms as the Old Testament believers did. David speaks for us as a king trusting in God and his plan of salvation. As a person on the side of God, he ends up caught up as we will be in various ways, whether it's at work or school or in our families or 
any context where the world is aligned against God, we will get caught up in the conflict between the wicked on one side and God and his exalted son. Well, how does David speak for us in Psalm 4? He speaks for all those who know what it's like to have your reputation unfairly battered and trounced. He speaks for you if you know what it's like to have people muttering against you. He speaks for you if you know what it's like to have people putting complaints against you unfairly. Or if there's a whispering campaign against you at work. Or if you're routinely bullied at school and have your name ridiculed. If that's you, then follow David's remedy here. And that's what we're going to look at. Just notice first in verse 1, he's crying out to God. Answer me when I call you, O my righteous God, or God of my righteousness, or God of my vindication, as uh, other translations have it. He's asking God to be gracious and merciful to him. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. So he's in distress at the beginning, but look at the end of the psalm. By the end, he says, I will lie down and sleep in peace. He starts off worried and agitated. He goes to bed calm. That's a remedy I'd like to perfect, isn't it? When you start the day or you come back from home, from work or whatever your context, troubled, you start in prayer agitated and you end in calmness. How does David do that? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it under three headings. Here's the recipe. Turn to the God of mercy in your struggles, verse 1. Verse 2 to 5, pray for your enemies using truth about God. Pray for your enemies using truth about God. And then 6 to 8, answer doubt with truth and trust God alone. I've never been good at snappy headings. So sorry they're a bit long, but they're descriptive. If we follow this pattern, it's the recipe for going from despair to calm, joyful sleep. Even if your situation doesn't change. So let's have a look at turn to the God of mercy. Answer me when I call you, O God of my righteousness, or God who vindicates me. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Now the first thing to notice here is we don't know the historical setting of Psalm 4. Psalm 3 tells us it's when, uh, gives us a historical setting, it's when uh, David fled from Absalom. But Psalm 4 doesn't tell us the historical events. Now that's helpful because Psalm 4 fits a situation David often faced and Christians faced and really will increasingly face. We can see what that is in verse 2. How long, O men, now other translations, I'm reading from the NIV here, note that it's exalted men, people of influence. People of importance, status and power are slandering him and telling lies about him. Just think about this. If you're driving and someone pips their horn at you for something that wasn't your fault, it's annoying, isn't it? It's, 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 it perhaps it's hurtful. Perhaps, you know, it's just a, it's a bit agitating, but you can get over it. But if slander and lies are being spread about you by people who have some influence over your life, that can keep you awake at night and dwell on you and weigh down on you. If colleagues at work are starting to take up against you and start to undermine your reputation with the management, perhaps for your Christian beliefs, 
or if you're falsely accused of something or a complaint is put in about you that's unfounded. Our reputation is unfairly damaged. It really plays on your mind. We can't tell how far those lies have gone and who believes them. We don't know how to start addressing them. What if no one wants to hear the truth? It can be a lonely place. Or kids, if you face the same bully each day and their gang of mates, it can be overwhelming because we can feel powerless to stop them saying whatever they're saying, the wrong and evil things that they say and do to us. We're talking about those times when reputations are unfairly attacked. This psalm is about the innocent suffering. What does David do? Well, he prays to God. He calls out to the God who vindicates him or to the God of my righteousness. And he goes to God because he remembers that God is the God who saves people out of their affliction. Pastoral help comes from first recognizing who God is and what he's like. Because in troubles, we can so easily focus on the trouble and God becomes somebody distant over the hill. Come back to the doctrine of God in all circumstances. Who is this God? He's the God who saves people out of their affliction. And notice in verse 1, he asks God for grace or mercy. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. David is innocent of the charges against him, but he doesn't come to God with a proud heart. He doesn't say, do you know what? There's some people saying some terrible things about me. I'm better than them. No, he starts asking for mercy. And he doesn't claim any righteousness of his own. He comes to the God of his righteousness. This is a prayer of a Christian. We come to know God. We come to God knowing we are sinful in ourselves. We come to God, this is the beginning of moving from distress to calmness before the Lord. We come to God first in prayer seeking mercy we don't deserve and trusting that God loves to save. We come to God not because we have any righteousness but because he is the one who has made us righteous in Christ. David is not some proud-hearted fellow here. He's the one in Psalm 32 who said, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin. David knew the gospel. We're saved by the righteousness only God provides. We're saved by the merciful God. In distress because you're being sinned against, you're being persecuted in some form, and there is nothing, you're innocent in the situation. You come before the Lord asking for mercy and you come knowing the only righteousness that comes from him is yours. You have none of your own. So David comes to God not as a self-righteous man who's really cross that his reputation is being trapped. He comes as a humble sinner saved by grace. That's how we need to pray. We need to come to God with an acknowledgement that we need mercy from him in all situations. And we know he will answer in his time, because he's declared us righteous in Christ if we trust in his death and resurrection. If you're not a Christian here, you are not right before God. But this prayer offers you something. It shows us an Old Testament figure coming for mercy to God, and you can do the same even now. So first, David comes to God in despair and prays, but he prays as one who knows who he is before God. Now let's look at him pray for his enemies. Part of the 
How do we go from distress to sleeping well at night when people are against us? And the the world increasingly will be against not just us individually, but against us as a church. Pray for your enemies, verses 2 to 5, using truth about God. Look at verse 2 to 5. How long, O men, or exalted men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. What does he pray for? Well, he prays for his enemies in verses 2 to 5. And as he does so, he does two things I want us to notice as we go through these three verses. First, he prays what he wants to say to them. So he's not actually saying anything to them. He's praying to the Lord what he wants to say to his enemies. And secondly, he prays with big truths about God. And this has a calming effect on him. Verse 2 to 5 is all said to the people slandering him, but in prayer to God. In verse 2, David pleads with them, as he pleads with the Lord, behind the slander, behind the lies, he says, is a basic problem. Look at verse 2. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? These exalted men, these these folks who have influence in his life, who are spreading falsehoods about him, are motivated by something. By worthless things. They don't love the truth. They love idols. God replacements. They're worshipping things other than God. So he warns them in verse 3 that they are taking on God's people. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. They're attacking the people that God has set aside for himself. They are slandering God's own people and the Lord hears his people cry to him. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So he says in verse 4, essentially, do the right thing. Now, verse 4 says in this translation, in your anger, do not sin. This could be, be angry and do not sin. But it could also mean tremble and don't sin. Jim Boyce, the um, Presbyterian commentator and pastor who went to glory years ago, says it could be either, but it's most likely the second one. Tremble before the Lord and don't sin. Lay on your bed at night and consider fearing the Lord in your sin. And then, verse 5, go and seek forgiveness. Offer sacrifices. Go to the temple and seek atonement for your sin. And then live as those who trust the Lord. That's his prayer for the people persecuting him. David wants those who slander him to realize the depths of their sin and turn to God and be saved. Is that how we tend to treat folks who slander us? It's difficult to muster up that kind of care for them. We're usually taken up with worry about ourselves. But notice that not only David does David pray things that he wants to say to his enemies, he also prays big truths about God and the situation. And those truths act on him and start to calm his soul. How many of the Psalms see the psalmist move from one state of distress to a state of calmness, to a state of it's lost to a state of praise, because the things the psalmist is saying starts to work on the psalmist. Praying for your enemies does your soul a tremendous amount of good, doesn't it? 
Let's have a look at these verses again and see what truths nurse and nurture David's soul. These people are idolaters in verse 2. We've seen that. If you slander a person, if you take part in spreading false accusations, if you damage the reputation of someone unfairly, if you seek to bring the good name of Christians into disrepute, you can bet it's because you're seeking to gain something out of it, to defend yourself, or the right to live for something other than God. You can bet that people who slag you off at work want to gain a promotion of you, over you or something like that. Or bullies at school are loving the power and attention they get for being the scary school kid. There's something other than God that they want. There's always a motive under the slander. And it's always because they want something other than God and so they live by lies. Know this, if you live for something other than God, you will trade in untruths, you will fail to live by truth because you are already building your life on things that are God replacements and that itself is living by a lie. So David says in his prayer, he notices, what's behind this? These folks are idolaters. He gets the diagnosis right. He sees them in terms of the Bible and what the word of the Lord says. Because he is one who delights in the word of the Lord. He views them and their motives in light of who they are before God. Part of the remedy for a calm heart when sinned against is to see sin against you as God sees it. If you can get the right diagnosis to a problem, you get clarity over what the real issue is. This is idolatry at work, says David. You can imagine him when he first hears the rumours and things of people are saying things about him, like he's he's the not he's not the rightful king. Supporters of King Saul are saying this man is a man of blood, and he kicked out King Saul. He's not God's man, and this is weighing. He go, what 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 do I do? He could be disorient. It's disorientating. Well, he first of all said he goes, Lord, what is the issue here? And the answer is, these people love something other than God. And when you know that about the person sinning against you, you have something to pray for for them, don't you? And it gives you some clues as to the way forward or what needs to break and change in them. Knowing the cause and the real target of sin helps you get perspective. That when people attack the church, attack Christians, they are attacking God because they're driven by a desire for something other than God. And then he reminds himself... In verse 3, not only does he say, folks, if you attack God's people, you need to know that you are attacking God's people. And he hears us. That works on him. It reminds himself that God has chosen him. He says to them in his prayer, God is, uh, prayer to God, something that he reminds himself of. That the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. David knows that he belongs to God because God has called him. Now, this is true of all Christians. If you're a Christian, it's because God has called you. God set you aside in the Son before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 6 tells us that. Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians 1 tells us that. He gave you to his Son. Read John 6. And his Son will not lose you, but raise you up on the last day. You belong to the Lord. So, of course, God hears David. Of course he hears your prayers, because God has claimed you as his own. Not only does that warn those who are persecuting him, but it comforts David. 
Remember, we start the psalm with David in distress, but by the end we see David sleeping well at night. How did he get there? Praying for his enemies by reminding himself as well of these big truths. Whatever they say about you, whatever they say about you, us, as God's people, you belong to the Lord. If you trust Christ and your reputation is destroyed because of false allegations, perhaps we will even lose our jobs. You belong to the Lord. He has not let you go. If the bullies bully and you trust Jesus, you are the Lord's. They are taking on God's chosen people and therefore taking on the Lord. And that ain't going to go well for them. David's heart starts to calm as he prays for his enemies and reminds himself of the truth. We need to follow the same path as David from distress to rest. Let's very briefly look at six to eight. Answer doubt with truth about God and trust God alone to protect your life. Look at verse six. Many are asking, who can show us any good? David answers, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. In verse six, David hears another voice in the situation. Others around him hear the lies and get discouraged. His reputation's being destroyed, but it affects others. I don't know if you've ever, perhaps some people know of situations like this, but somebody is unfairly attacked for being a Christian or something else, standing up for, for something that is clearly there in God's moral law. I don't know, obvious things like biblical marriage or saying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. If you lose your job because of such things, people will be, in your, under your responsibility, will be concerned and worried, won't they? And say, has the Lord abandoned us? How does David encourage them? David remembers the ironic blessing the Aaronic, not ironic, the Aaronic blessing. From number 6, 22 to 27, let me read it to you. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, may Yahweh bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. What does um, David say? In verse um, 6, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. It's the T-shirt version of the blessing, the shortened, shorthand version of the blessing. God has promised to show favor to his people. So when overwhelmed by the onslaught of lies about you, remember... As David does, he remembers the great promise that came, that was to be given to the people through Aaron. This is what I will say to them. I will say, through, through this blessing, I, I, I will shine my light on them. I will give them favor. They will call to me and I will bless them. And so somebody says, David, has the Lord abandoned us? And he says, let the light of your countenance shine on us and bless us, Lord. God is for you. It's going to be okay. That's what that blessing means. And so deal with doubt, with big truths of the gospel. This is the recipe for sleeping well at night. When people out there or people close to you believe wrong things about you, God is for you. God is our righteousness. God is merciful to us. God hears us. God will show his favor. We see this all in Jesus. 
who is the Son of God who came to lift us out of sin and remake us in his image. And one day he will be vindicated before all the world and his people will be vindicated in him because as it goes for the king, so it goes for his people. These things, these mercies from God that flow to us through Christ, fill the despairing heart with joy, more joy than an abundance of money and wealth. Verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have with, when their grain and new wine abound. Many Christians might lose jobs and livelihoods from malicious accusations. We don't know what's coming our way. We can make some pretty good predictions and things are already beginning to happen. We must be prepared for when the world calls us evil for standing up for what is good. We may be left with little as a result, but joy is not found in our stuff. It's found in the truths David prays. It's found in the God of joy, the blessed God, the God of mercy, who is the source of joy. Despite all situations we find ourselves in, he remains unchanging, the same, the God of mercy, of joy, the blessed three in one. The act of praying for his enemies with God's truths, the act of coming to God, the source of righteousness and mercy and joy, has calmed his heart and it will calm our hearts. He can sleep well. And his last thought before sleep is, God alone is my safety. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. There's only one guarantee of ultimate safety, God himself. As goes the king, so go the people. As goes your view of God, so goes the health of your soul and your heart and your ability to cope and your spiritual resilience. This psalm sees David come before his Lord who he knows. The Lord who will vindicate, who will lift us out of physical death, who has given us eternal life. So, how do you sleep peacefully? Come to God as people needing his mercy. Pray for your attackers. Realize idolatry is at work in them. So pray for their salvation. And remember your salvation as well. You belong to God. He alone is your safety in Christ. And sleep well. It's going to be okay. So we pray. Heavenly Father, it has struck me so often that those words, it is going to be okay, are some deep theological truths grounded in who you are and what you've done in Christ. If there are any here this morning, Lord, who are struggling, who's the, 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 for who the worries of life are overwhelming, we pray, Lord, that you would give, through your word, another glimpse of your goodness and mercy and the joy to be found in you in our circumstances. In Christ. Amen.